in, have a seat, grab your snacks, grab your drinks. It is time for the second edition of Chop On. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, at Chop On Pod. You can listen to and find the right podcast platform for you at anchor.fm forward slash chop dash on. We are on Spotify, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, and finally, Apple Podcasts. What an adventure that was to get us on there, but we're there. <laughs> My name is Rajiv, and I am here with Cricket's most premier journalist and a very, very busy man. He writes for CrickBuzz.com. I'm here with my brother, Bharat Sundaresan. Hello, brother. How are you doing this week? It's a wild one. Oh, it's been a wild, wild one. Absolutely. So much happening back home, good and bad. Uh, but yeah, before we get into all that, Rajiv, like, I just realized something last week. You know what we're doing? We're uniting two worlds. We're doing something that a lot of people I know have always wanted to do. Somehow bring cricket and wrestling together. Mm-hmm. And you, my brother, um, came up with this idea. And uh, now you know why I took around two seconds to agree uh, <laughs> to doing this podcast with you. And uh, I'm so excited. A lot of people got in touch with me uh, in India and said that oh, finally we have cricket and wrestling on the same show. So uh, we are on to something special. I'm loving it. I was very excited. Despite, uh, like you said, how busy it's been for me with uh, all these, uh, I mean, being on radio and talk on TV and talking about why the IPL is kind of no more this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, BCCI have said they'll try to find a window, but they have to say that. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm in in the midst of all that, I've been getting very, very excited about our show. Me too. And uh, we want to thank everybody that has listened to us. If this is your first time, welcome. We hope you really enjoy the show. We have a great format here. If you've ever seen part in the interruption or first take on ESPN, it is very similar to that. We, we take topics, we discuss them for five minutes maximum each. If we end before the five minutes, then awesome. Let's move on. Otherwise, we cut ourselves off at the five minute mark, maybe get one more sentence in and, you know, just to further throw that jab at each other because you know we need to get a little meaner to each other because we were a little too nice last week but uh the topics are going to be cricket and wrestling past and present uh we know we have listeners that love cricket but don't know wrestling or they love wrestling don't know cricket but like you just said a lot of people want to mesh those worlds together so we're going to do all of that here are you ready brother haven't been ready now rajiv let's do this and yes i mean uh, no heat when two absolute uh, chikna baby faces go after each other. So we need to find some heat and I'm sure we will. We will. It's just going to take a little time. We, we're finding our voices here. <laughs> so here is our first segment, which I like to call Rotate the Strike. I'm going to present topics and we're going to go back and forth on these. And here is our first topic. Tamil Nadu, Karnataka, Saurashtra, and Mumbai Cricket Association sought permission to hold their own leagues. The BCCI have granted permission in its mail saying that the states wanting to hold their own leagues have 15 days post the IPL final to see the schedule through. The day after obtaining the go-ahead from the BCCI, three of the four states have said that they are not sure of conducting the leagues and one association called off its tournament altogether. And then on May the 4th, the BCCI came out with the following statement on IPLT20.com. The Indian Premier League Governing Council and the Board of Control for Cricket in India in an emergency meeting has unanimous, <laughs> easy for me to say, unanimously decided to postpone IPL 2021 season with immediate effect. The BCCI does not want to compromise the safety of the players, support staff, and other participants involved in organizing the IPL. This decision was taken keeping the safety, health, and well-being of all the stakeholders in mind. These are difficult times, especially in India. And while we have tried to bring in some positivity and cheer, it is imperative that the tournament is now suspended and everyone goes back to their families and loved ones in these trying times. The BCCI would go on to say they're doing everything in their powers to arrange for secure and safe passage for all participants in the IPL. But we talked about this last week about would we be upset if the IPL shut down due to COVID because of how bad it was getting over there. So let's go ahead and start our five minute timer. How do you feel about the BCCI first? They said, okay, go ahead with you four states and you can have your leagues. And now they're shutting down the IPL altogether. What do you think about all this? 
I mean, first of all, uh, Rajiv, I was very surprised uh, when that news even came out that they, uh, and I wasn't the only one when they said that, oh, okay, four states, three of which are still in the midst of uh, this uh, second wave. They're really battling it. Uh, it's a war zone is what I've been calling it over here. Um, uh, and still giving them permission. And, uh, you know, it just was a like, like a lot with this IPL has been, um, uh, it, it just looked bad. It was the optics didn't look good. Even whether they were going to hold these tournaments or not even seeking permission and gaining permission. Uh, I'm not surprised the Mumbai Cricket Association because Mumbai has been doing really well. If you've been following the news in terms of controlling the virus, Maharashtra as a state is still struggling, but uh, Mumbai with the strict lockdowns, they have brought the numbers down, which is great, which is where my mother is. So very selfishly speaking, I'm quite happy about that. Uh, so the Mumbai Cricket Association were the first to uh, call it off. Uh, and while all that was happening, of course, like we touched upon it earlier and you just mentioned, uh, the IPL has been suspended with immediate effect. The word suspension is interesting because you will not hear them say cancel because cancel comes with it, some sort of closure, uh, which can have so many other implications which have nothing to do with the cricket itself. So. Uh, reports are that they will try to somehow push it to September or find a window there. But, you know, I, I don't see it, see it happening personally. Um, and it just, I mean, it always car carried an air of inevitability, right? Like a week ago, we were talking about, ah, you know, it could just, it could all just end because there's only that much uh, you can do to sec keep a bubble secure where like there are millions of thousands of cases, thousands of people dying, millions of cases around you. Uh, and the moment, and I think we touched upon this last week, the caravan began to move from Mumbai and Chennai. That was mm -hmm. always going to be the test. Yep. They somehow managed to hold a few matches in Delhi and Ahmedabad. Uh, but just it took two cases two days back with Calcutta Knight Riders, the first franchisee to report two cases. Then came Chennai Super Kings. Uh, to a couple of supports and like that's that's what we've learned it can come from anywhere it, apparently it was the bus cleaner in chennai super kings who um, somehow unfo or unfortunately tested positive and then it got passed on to el balaji and from what we're hearing this morning michael hussey as well so um it's it's it it's now become an almighty mess because uh, while the indian players will be allowed to go home after three or four days three negative tests there are a lot of australians who can't come back before may 15th uh, the government has actually made it a crime to come back from India before May 15th, can be thrown in jail, regardless of who you are. Um, the English cricket board has said, we are not going to like, you know, fly them on some chartered flight. They have to make their own way. Um, so there are talks that everybody's going to end up in Maldives, uh, in the Maldives, like, you know, the Australian and New Zealand players anyway. So it, it, <laughs> it has become an almighty mess. I still do feel bad for, uh, like, regardless of whether it's a majority or a minority, so for some people, it was the only escape, the only solace for them. Uh, only the brightest spot every day, the, watching the IPL. Now that's gone as well. So, yeah, you feel for everyone involved. But yeah, like I said, it just felt like it was going to happen. Yeah, I applaud the BCCI and the IPL Governing Council for coming to this decision. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't an easy decision for them to make. Because like we were saying last week, you know, there's human lives at stake but you know there's so much money involved with the IPL and they had a secure bubble at least they thought they had a secure bubble and you know when human lives are at stake it's not something that should be played with I know I'm going to miss seeing the IPL every morning here in America because I mean selfishly it helped me wake up every morning because I was starting to get pumped up for the day but this is absolutely the correct decision uh all I can say now is I really hope that things are going to get better in India sooner rather than later. It's mm. very heartbreaking hearing about and reading on Twitter the hardships that everybody's going to just to find oxygen. You know, they're trying to refill oxygen tanks and they're having a hard time getting the oxygen for that. And it's, that's just to help people breathe. Uh, and I, I just hope that the people in power over there are going to put their public first, money second, because mm. you can't get a human life back but you can always make money. Everyone that is over there, please stay safe. Please wear a mask. Follow the guidelines that are set for you. And just know that we here at Chop on Pod and everywhere, we're all praying for you because we, we want you guys to come out on the other end. Absolutely. And just one final thing on that, Rajiv, for our listeners in America and, and the world over, just to put it into perspective, I was speaking to a friend here in Australia yesterday, and I think he summed it up. We're talking about 
not just people dying. These are human beings who are suffocating to de- their like you know unfortunate ends yeah. in 2021. Like it, it's akin to being buried alive. That's how bad it is. So uh, yeah, send all your prayers and blessings to those people back home in India and in other parts of the world like Brazil. I hear is struggling as well. So uh, yeah, we are still not out of it yet. As reported on crickbuzz.com, former Zimbabwe captain and coach Heath Streak, who was handed an eight-year ban from all cricket for breaching ICC's anti-corruption code, apologized and shouldered full responsibility for his actions, but denied involvement in match-fixing. The 47-year-old had accepted five charges leveled against him for his role as the coach of Zimbabwe between 2016 and 2018, and as the coach of various franchises. And I quote, I apologize sincerely to my family, friends, the cricketing, loving public, and above all, my fellow Zimbabweans who have over the years shown me love and support during numerous trials and tribulations that we have faced. I want to place on record that I was not involved in any match fixing, spot fixing, or attempts to influence a game or share information from a change room during a match. I hope acknowledgement of my wrongdoing wittingly or unwittingly will set an example to current and future stakeholders streak went on to talk about striking a friendship with an investor that wanted to sponsor a t20 tournament in zimbabwe and let his guard down several months down the line the icc brought this to his attention that the individual may have used some of that information obtained during friendly banter for online betting uh but i'm gonna go ahead and start this one is So the topic is, is the ban of eight years too harsh or is this a fair ban given that Heathstreak should have been more cautious given his station as a cricket leader? So I think eight years is a bit harsh and let me explain why I feel this way. He clearly didn't mean to do what he did. I think four years would have been sufficient enough. We've seen people that have done much worse things in not just cricket, but many other sports, and they've gotten a far less harsh sentencing. It just seems to me that the ICC is trying to use him as an example. And I think that the fact that he's associated with Zimbabwe cricket has something to do with using him as an example as well. I mean, let's let's take a look at this. Would he have been given the same ban if he was with India or England or Australia or any of the other big names, I don't think his sentencing would have been this harsh. I mean, yes, he, he should have been more careful. He was saying things around somebody that he didn't really know very well, but when you build a, build a rapport with somebody and you think you can trust them, then you're going to sit around and you're going to talk about work. And I think that's what he was doing. He was just talking about work. I can guarantee that he won't do something like this again based on what he was saying. And I truly believe that eight years is far, far too harsh. And this is where we have our first disagreement. I think um, eight years is uh, as fair as it gets. Uh, and, uh, you know, firstly, it was heartbreaking to know, hear about Heath Street, like, you know, arguably the greatest all-round cricketer to ever come out from Zimbabwe. They've had great batsmen like Andy Flower and so many others. But, um, I mean, Heathstreet carried Zimbabwe on his shoulders for nearly two decades. He was not just captain, but he was seriously at times a one-man army. Uh, and, and, and you know, uh, and since he's, of course, become coach, he's had a stint with an IPL team as well. Uh, and this is why I disagree with you, Rajiv, because before every league these days, before every tournament, the anti-corruption unit, uh, whether it's from the ICC or from uh, whichever league you're playing in, they sit you down and they explain what it, what it is, like how you need to be careful with who you meet, what information you share. Uh, you're given details about people as well, very often about like, you know, shady characters, characters who are on their blacklist of sorts, who you need to be careful of. Uh, and, and so you can't hide behind the excuse that uh, it was just innocent. Like, you know, he just bumped into someone, he got friendly with him and, you know, he exchanged some information very um, innocently because each streak is not just, uh, and he's not a player. He's not a young kid, like uh, 18 year old, 19 year old who doesn't know this. He's been sitting in for these anti-corruption units as a former player, a former captain, a coach, um, a, a role model. For years, for 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 years, for like I said, for the last 25, 30 years, um, and for him to play the 
uh, oh, like I just made a stupid mistake card just doesn't work. It's sad. Like personally, I feel bad for a cricketer from Zimbabwe. Uh, one thing you did uh, say correctly is uh, to for our American listeners in particular, the cricket world is uh, there is uh, it, it, I mean, when you talk of power and money, India, England and Australia sit, uh, sit so far ahead of everyone else. There is a lot of disparity in terms of how much money is made by cricketers around the world. Zimbabwe in particular have really struggled as a country um, with their economy and also a lot of their cricketers have struggled. A lot of them don't get these fancy gigs to go and play overseas. So that's the sad part, you know, when I hear about how he accepted uh, X amount of money and a phone for his wife, it breaks your heart, right? Like, you know, for someone to uh, have his uh, image that he's built up, he's worked so hard. He was such a hardworking cricketer to get it tarnished for something like that. You just feel bad for a person like uh, like him for just that bit. But, you know, you cannot make any excuses for what he's done because you're influencing young players. If you pass on the allegations, I mean, they have been proven right now. Um, you passed off on information or like contact details for young cricketers. Like, you know, your job is to teach them how the world is. You cannot be, you know, influencing them and also standing up for these shady characters. So I think eight years is deserved. We also um, heard Nuan Zoysa, another, you know, um, Sri Lankan fast bowler, and another cricketer from that late 90s, early 2000s era. We all watched, we all grow, grew up watching. So he's come under the scanner as well. So he's been banned as well. Sad times, but, you know, corruption in sport will, will never go away. It's always been there and will always be there. And I hear what you're saying, but our five minutes is about to be up. But my whole thing, my biggest thing about this is, yeah, he, he's part of Zimbabwe quick cricket. And you just said, you agreed that India, England, Australia, those are the big money players. If he was with one of those cricketing boards, would he have been given eight years? I really don't think so about it. Well, I mean, it depends if uh, he'd been proven guilty. We've seen it in India with the IPL when um, guys were found to have, I mean, now it's all allegations since Srishant is back and he almost was in the IPL auction this time, uh, but that's Indian cricket for you. And uh, nobody stays guilty for too long in Indian cricket. We've seen that mm -hmm. over the years. That's uh, part of my point. <laughs> yeah, uh, is the head of the Hyderabad Cricket Association now. So it's almost like the wrestling world. The never say never thing is very true with Indian cricket in particular. Uh, I mean, it's 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 something that we can debate on uh, uh, endlessly. Whether like a similar punishment would have been levied against a cricketer from uh, India, England, or Australia, but. The, the fact is, and the reality is, I mean, nobody is immune to corruption uh, or like, you know, accepting money uh, or greed. But when you are paid as well as an Indian, Australian or English player is, and when you have access to so much more um, because you hail from these countries, the I guess the temptations are just fewer than if you are from a poorer cricketing country uh, like Zimbabwe. I guess we'll agree to disagree. And maybe one of these times India goes over there, they'll actually send some real players. Um, so <laughs> next topic, during a Twitter Q&A se session last Thursday, CM Punk was asked if he'd take the offer of a wrestling promotion offering him a prominent backstage position. In his response, Punk wrote, I'd listen. So CM Punk has dabbled in some comic book writing over the years after writing the introduction for a Marvel comic in the 2012 crossover Avengers versus X-Men. Punk would co-write the Marvel Comics Thor annual number one in 2015. He also wrote a one-shot of Marvel's Master of Kung Fu in 2017. Uh, Punk hasn't stepped inside a wrestling ring since 2014's Royal Rumble match. But do you think CM Punk would be a good addition to a wrestling company behind the scenes? Um, I haven't heard enough about CM Punk's contributions behind the scenes, to be honest, for him to actually become a valuable member um, of a, a background team. I think he's, I was shocked to know he's still 42. So though he's take, I mean, he's taken a while almost to never be in a wrestling ring again. I see more potential in him, even if he doesn't want to wrestle, being an on-screen character whether it's as a commentator or uh, maybe as a manager or because we've heard so much about CM Punk uh, over the years, like, you know, whether it was, were, were, was how good he was as a wrestler, his promos and 
just the the pull he had like you know with the fans uh, but all the podcasts we listen to rajiv i've never heard someone come out and say you know what he had these great ideas uh, for someone else like you know we've heard uh, my favorite scott hall uh, and how he kind of developed this thing character so and people always talk about scott hall for all the demons that he's had to deal with in his life as being having the brains to come up with stuff for someone else i don't know whether cm punk is has been that guy uh, and i was just uh, you know also reading an old interview of his where apparently cm punk's also a guy who keeps his card very close to his chest he is working on some projects uh, heels i think it's a show which is uh, about to be launched or has launched in the usa uh, where he plays Same. where he plays a wrestling character in the background so maybe he's warming up for something who knows but he himself in his in his own admission says uh it's almost like his life he protects or not protects he's he's so cautious about what he's doing in life almost like he's protecting kayfabe like his life is kayfabe for him yeah and as we stated last week sam punk has absolutely nothing to prove in the ring but maybe he has something to prove behind the scenes and here's where i'm coming with this so we all us fans view CM Punk very highly as one of the smartest wrestlers that we have ever seen. He also clearly views himself in the same way as, as very high. So maybe he'll want to prove this to himself. We all know that CM Punk could care less about how he's viewed by the public. So if he were to take this on, it would be something to prove to himself. And I think that is what would excite him. I mean, let's look at when he joined the UFC to pursue his career in MMA. After leaving wrestling, he didn't need to do that. He stated many times that he has plenty of money put away. He did it to prove it to himself, whether he could or could not do it. And that is what excited him. I think he would be a great addition to any company behind the scenes because of that wealth of knowledge that he has in the ring. Sure, like you said, he, he keeps things close to the vest when it's himself. But I think that if he were to know, like The Rock would say, know your role, if he knew what his role was of you know, helping people, uh, you know, he's had countless big moments in wrestling. And so that could help with him coaching these up and coming talents. Well, um, I guess we agree to disagree once again. <laughs> I mean, till the time, uh, uh, you know, because there are a lot of people who are one, like in wrestling, who are really good about defining and redefining their own character. But if you, if you have to be in the background, uh, your job is to help others, whether it's as a coach or uh, whether it's as to, and we've seen it, seen it in professional sport as well. There are some sports men and, uh, and uh, sports people who, who will tell you everything you want to know and more about their own game, about their own body at times. But you ask them to, you know, uh, coach someone or pass that on to someone. They always look at it from their from their own perspective. It's always sure. always goes back to like you know the way I did it is different. So I mean we'll we'll have to wait and watch. I mean, uh, but like the one thing I do agree with you is he likes moving on from one project to another. He's already tried his hand at many things, uh, but that's the your, that's the only way I see him come back to wrestling, not as a wrestler. WWE is in talks with MLW about a partnership. The idea is to give some of the developmental guys in WWE who are not working with NXT some work on TV. Now that MLW has a television deal with Vice, this would allow the talents to work on actual TV and get some more exposure than only on Peacock and the WWE Network. And it also makes it seem like WWE is changing and modernizing. It's been said that people see AEW having partnerships with New Japan Pro Wrestling, Impact Wrestling, and AAA, and WWE wants to make it look like they're not set in their old ways and uncooperative. There's no word on if anything will come from the WWE MLW talks or a time frame on when something might happen but right now within wwe there is a mentality to work with other promotions so the topic is what are your thoughts on this possible partnership is it good for wwe and the talents involved i will go ahead and start that one i think it's great for the younger talent that's not being used on tv to get some tv exposure it's one thing to work house shows in front of an audience. TV is a completely different animal. Sure, streaming is great, but being on actual TV is a much different thing because with streaming, a lot of times it's not live. A lot of times they're taping it and then they're editing around what they don't like. Whereas most of the time TV is live. As far as the partnership, 
I think it's great for WWE, but will it be great for MLW? Uh, I'm not thinking it will be. I mean, let's let's look at like we were talking about last week, AEW and Impact Partnership. Yeah, it's growing. And the fact that they are partnering is great, which is what I stated last week. And I do stand by that statement. But I also said that AEW has overwhelmingly more victories over Impact Talent. And I think the same is going to happen here. The best part of this partnership with MLW is that some of their talent is going to be rubbing shoulders with talent of WWE that has already been signed. Sure, they're not being used, but they're with the WWE. And it's possible that some of the high brass there are going to see them and then they're going to want to sign them. So in that sense, I think it's great. And there is precedent for this. Uh, WWE did... uh work with Evolve a few years ago, didn't they? Yeah, that's correct. Um, and like the likes of Daniel Bryan and Kevin Owens um, were also on their roster, roster for quite a while. And uh, eventually the partnership led to WWE buying Evolve and uh, almost forming um, a second rung to NXT. I think it was called NXT Evolve, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so if, if it's the WWE, like, any major corporation in the world, uh, wherever you are, and you see something which is functioning well, uh, and you think it'll be a good addition to your business model, that's that's the sole reason they will go and bring them on board. I don't think they will look at it as a from a wrestling point of view. I, there has to be some business involved in it. Uh, otherwise, there's no point. I don't think the WWE, the size of the company as it is, would do. Uh, would take a call like that unless there's, like I said, there's business involved. Um, and, uh, you know, but it, the one good thing, like you said, is it might give some of their unused stars on NXT some some TV time. Um, so whatever happens, whatever the deal is, the WWE will uh, profit from it, uh, or the ratio of profit would be, uh, not just financially, but just overall, would be 90-10 <laughs> from what I see. But <laughs> Look, I mean, uh, if you were MLW, getting a rub from WWE, that can only mean good things for you. When we speak speak about AEW and Impact Uniting, uh, yes, I mean, AEW is still a growing brand, as we all know. Uh, but the WWE is wrestling, like Conrad Thompson always says. Uh, you don't think cola, you think Pepsi. So even now, even though uh, the smart fans or social media might look at AEW as being like the... Uh, the wrestling promotion that you want to back and like, you know, maybe it's cool to back AEW. WWE is still wrestling for most people. Most people I know outside the US don't call it wrestling. They call it WWE or WWF even, um, you know, still. So it's, uh, it, it, so getting a rub from them can only mean good things for MLW. Maybe uh, even if they run the risk of being bought over in a couple of years time, if that partnership works out there is. I, I like the analogy that you brought up about the Pepsi Coke and then uh, people don't even really call it wrestling outside of America. And, and even in America too, sometimes people just say, oh, is that WWE instead of, oh, is that wrestling? And a lot of times when you're out, you're like, oh, can I get a Coke instead of, oh, can I get a Pepsi? So that that is a, a really cool tie-in. So kudos to you, brother. I have to give you that one. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> Dark Side of the Ring Season 3 debuts on Vice on May the 6th. Topics are going to include Brian Pillman, Collision in Korea, The Ultimate Warrior, WWE Steroid Trials, The Plane Ride from Hell, and XPW, just to name a few. First, but it, uh, before we even talk about what we're going to talk about for the five minutes, have you had a chance to see Dark Side of the Ring yet? I absolutely love it. I, in fact, I let you in on a little secret. Ever since I watched Dark Side of the Ring, the only thing I'm thinking about is dark side of cricket. I have to do dark side of cricket. <laughs> but it's, uh, unfortunately, I started watching it when the pandemic was just kicking off. So I haven't even got uh, the time or the chance to even think, talk to someone about it. So this is the first time anyone's hearing about it. There you go. Um, because I, I not just cricket, any sport, like there are so many stories of that nature. Are they those uh, guys, uh, Evan and Jason do an outstanding job, but I would not only watch Dark Side of the Ring, but also listen to Dark Side of the Podcast. Like, you know, I would rush uh, 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 or rush to my phone and like, you know, listen to it right after I watched an episode just to get um, uh, you know, to be to kind of indirectly pick their brains uh, through 
through Conrad. So, no, I'm a big fan of uh, Dark Side of the Ring. I think they do a fantastic job, mainly because they tell you both sides of the story. Right. Whatever story it is, like, you know, whether it's uh, uh, someone who's, uh, for example, the Jimmy Snuka thing. I mean, when you think Jimmy Snuka and the controversy about him, you just think murder. But like, you know, there's a human being at the other end. There's, there's a family of the person who's been murdered or who's dead, right? Yeah. And I think that's where they do an amazing job. This, similarly with Chris Benoit and of course with um, uh, Owen Hart, like the way they uh, featured Martha Hart and, you know, her story, it, it just tells you it's not just about the story, but all the characters around it and the impact it has on so many lives. So, um, the, so there are, I, I mean, I'm looking forward to every episode. <laughs> that <there> is, <laughs> having said all that, the one that really I connected with was, you might be surprised to hear this was Brawl for All. Because I remember watching it live and I was like, what is this? And I became a big fan of Bart Gun after that. You know, I always preferred Billy to Bart in the, uh, when they were the sure. smoking gun. But after Brawl for All, I was like, wow, I like this guy. And he doesn't seem to have any airs about him. He just walks out there, does his thing, and he goes off. Uh, and, you know, he doesn't have to play any gimmick. Uh, and then I, I'd always wondered, what happened to Bartgan? I mean, I would, you would Google and see, uh, yeah, I mean, he's disillusioned. He's gone somewhere. But to see him again on camera really, like, warmed my heart. Uh, so, I, I, and the, like, like I said, I'm looking forward to each and every episode that's coming up. Uh, but I want to hear about Ultimate Warrior because um, we've heard so many negative things about this guy. Right. Um, and I remember watching some documentary where they spoke about how him and Sting started off together. They used to work out in the gym. I think they uh, one or the other brought the other person into wrestling. If I'm not mistaken, the Ultimate Warrior brought Sting into wrestling or the other way around. Um, and, you know, they were a tag team. And like, you know, since the early 90s, all we've heard are negative things about him, maybe fairly so. So I, but I know Evan and Jason will go and find the other story. As a journalist, Rajiv, my heart beats journalism. And like, you know, any story, there can never be a one-sided story. If it's that, if you're writing a one-sided story, it's an opinion, it's not a story, it's not a report. So Absolutely. you need to get the other side of the story as well, which is what I'm looking forward to. But um, uh, I don't think it's on the menu card this time around, but the one episode I would love to watch on Dark Side of the Ring is Ferry Saturn because I think Ferry Saturn was, I was a big fan of him like in, during my WCW uh, viewing days. Him and Chris Canyon, I mean, the moveset those guys were, they were like smooth ass, like, you know, they were brilliant. <laughs> uh, and then you, uh, again, like with Bartgun, I remember Googling what happened to Ferry Saturn a few years ago. And it's, in, it's, in, it's an incredible story. You just driving down the road with your girlfriend, you see a woman being raped, you go to help her. Uh, you get shot and your life just spirals down. You you are a method on the side of the street. Uh, and uh, I remember watching a shoot interview of his and the way he spoke about it. I think it's a great story. It's right up the dark side of the ring uh, alley. Uh, even though it's not that dark a story. I mean, the at least the it didn't stem from that dark uh, point. It was just right. someone helping someone else out in like, you know, it was in great peril. So that's the one thing I'm looking forward to. Maybe in season four. Maybe. It's funny that you bring up, uh, before I talk about what I'm looking forward to and everything, it's funny you bring up Dark Side of Cricket because there's going to be a couple spinoffs coming from Vice. They're going to do Dark Side of Football and Dark Side of the 90s. So maybe if you can put together a pitch, you can send it to Vice and then they'll, because you know they're trying to build cricket over there. Exactly. You know, with the whole GT20 league that they had in the last couple of years. So, hey, maybe. Um, what tells you I have not already contacted someone in Vice? I have a friend who works for Vice in India, so no, I am very, very keen. So if you find any contacts, our listeners, please pass them on to me. Yes, please do. So the one I'm looking forward to the most is the Brian Pillman one, which is the one that they're doing right off the bat. He's such an interesting story about getting into the business, things that happened to him while he's been in the business. The whole loose cannon thing is just crazy to me. And then, you know, stuff that was happening in his personal life. I believe it's a two-part episode kind of similar to what they did with the Chris Benoit episode so I'm really looking forward to that as far as ones I'd want to see in the future I would love for them to do one on China I know that there's a documentary that's being worked on by her people right now but I really think given the dark side of the ring treatment would be pretty great because like you said it's going to 
take both sides into account, whereas this is a China documentary that they're working on, and it's by people that knew her. So it, it's perhaps going to be one-sided. We don't know for sure yet because we haven't seen it, but I think that would be fun to see a Dark Side of the Ring one. And another one, brother, I think this is, so we're going to do kind of a history lesson with this one because I don't know if you know this one. I would love for them to do an episode on the old wrestler Nanjo Singh. Have you heard of Nanjo Singh? No, I'm intrigued. Okay, so he was a wrestler based out of Toronto, Canada. The Maple Leaf Gardens, where they used to do uh, all the wrestling shows there in that territory, had to add a rampway walking to the ring because Nanjo drew so much hatred from the fans that he was stabbed, he was beaten, and he was dragged from the ring. But the craziest thing about him is this. He legitimately beat his wife to death there is a whole case around it and it was so odd everything about it was just odd he Mm. was convicted of second degree murder he spent eight years in prison and once he was out of prison he went back to wrestling and restarted the feud that he had before he went to jail with whipper watson that sort of thing would never happen today ever and i think that would be an amazing episode of dark side of the ring Absolutely, yeah, I know. And was he a, was he a genuine Singh though? Like, was he a Sikh from Toronto? Yeah, he was. He was. So he was in India. He and his wife moved to Canada to, you oh, know, the Indian yeah. let's let's be, yeah, yeah, have yeah. a better life. And uh, yeah, they they had a bar. Something happened with him and his wife. And uh, <laughs> there's like, he told the police like five different stories of what happened that night. So. I, I just think it would be so interesting. Incredible. That sounds incredible. Sad and incredible. That, that, that's, that's the one I'm looking forward to alongside Perry Saturn. <laughs> <laughs> and our final topic on Rotate the Strike. Cricket is going to have a landmark re-entry into Birmingham's 2022 Commonwealth Games and seven qualifiers will join home team England in an eight-team 2020 competition. It is women's cricket, not men's cricket. The ICC and the Commonwealth Games Federation made the announcement on Monday that women's cricket features in the games for the first time in the 22 editions and cricket will only be featured for the second time ever. The first being the men's ODI competition in Kuala Lumpur in 1998, which was won ultimately by South Africa. Joining England, the qualifiers are going to be India, Australia, New Zealand, Pakistan, South Africa, and a country from the West Indies. They have secured qualification as a result of their standings in the women's T20 team rankings on April 1st, 2021. The Commonwealth Games Tournament will take place at the iconic Edgebaston Stadium with tickets set to go on sale later this year. How big is this, not just for cricket, but women's cricket as well? I will start by saying this is absolutely fantastic for cricket as a whole, but mostly women's cricket. I don't think women's cricket gets the love that it deserves. I mean, look at India's captain, Harmanpreet Kaur. She is a fantastic cricketer. She's not a fantastic woman cricketer. As a cricket player herself, I would put her up there with the greats that are going with India right now, as it stands, the ones that are playing now. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm an expert on women's cricket because I'm not. But when I have watched it, I've enjoyed it immensely. If for no other reason, the women are very hungry to prove themselves. And every match that I've seen, you can see it in their play. And they just don't get their just due. They also keep the pace of play up and matches end at least 30 minutes sooner than most of the men matches. So (laughs) that in itself, but, and I think that might actually be part of the reason they don't get so much love with TV because their matches are shorter. So there's not enough sponsoring as where a men's match could take uh, like T20 could take four or five hours. So I think this is going to be great and I can't wait to see how it plays out. How about you, brother? Well, I've always held, Rajiv, that um, women's cricket will, uh, or women playing cricket, will make cricket a global sport. You know, men have tried for uh, over 100 years now. But yes, there are a lot of countries playing cricket. I mean, there's a lot of cricket that gets played in the USA. So if you are one of our American listeners who want to know a little more about cricket, just find your local... Uh, cricket club or local cricket tournament um, and if you are going there get in touch with Rajiv and I and we'll give you a little tips what to watch out for what to learn and absolutely uh, yeah 
I'm offering my services here to uh, give you a little cricket coaching over the phone. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so uh, you know, so it, 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 it has been growing, but it's, it, the growth has been stunted to an extent, uh, mainly because uh, cricket has never been in the Olympics. I mean, uh, was very, very many, many years ago, hundred more than a hundred years ago, but uh, hasn't been in the Olympics since it became a mainstream sport. Uh, and, uh, you know, they've tried it in the Asian games. Again, it was the women. So the and women have been at the forefront of a lot of things in cricket. I mean, a little history lesson, the first ever World Cup in cricket was played by the women in 1973, two years before there was a men's World Cup. Uh, so, uh, you know, women are also, and I mean, there's some, uh, it, it's, it's up in the air, uh, but the history of bowling in cricket, like actual bowling in cricket, they always say, uh, the story goes that uh, cricket used to have underarm bowling, but it's uh, this particular, I don't remember his name, but his sister who really invented overarm bowling because, you know, you know, the skirts they used to wear back then, it was just very uncomfortable for her. Um, so she was always, uh, uh, you know, credited with having invented overarm bowling. This is like in the mid 1800s, I guess. Uh, and that's the cricket we know today. Uh, I I do remember the time the men played in the Commonwealth Games uh, because it coincided with a very popular India-Pakistan series in Toronto, which used to be called the Sahara Cup, uh, which was held for three years. Um, and uh, because India was like, you know, the Indian cricket team was representing the country at the Commonwealth Games, Sachin Tendulkar, and those games were not given official uh, one-day international status. So right. they didn't go into records. Because it was the Commonwealth Games, Sachin Tendulkar uh, and a couple of other big names were picked for the Commonwealth Games. Whereas, uh, you know, uh, Saurav Ganguly and those guys actually ended up making a name for themselves uh, in Toronto during the Sahara Cup, during the India-Pakistan series. So uh, apart from that, the only thing that comes to mind is Amir Kurasia, who played for Madhya Pradesh in Central Zone, fainted while playing a famous innings against Australia during the tournament. So yes. not much is really known about that, uh, uh, that com like the cricketing element of that Commonwealth Games in 1998 in Kuala Lumpur. But uh, it's great that it's coming back. Uh, I mean, I can get into the weeds here if you uh, don't stop me about why the BCC has always <laughs> not been in favor of cricket being part of the Olympics. But we'll leave that for another day. And the Edgebaston ground is one of my favorite in the uh, in the world. Uh, and the food you get at the press box in Edgebaston in Birmingham, uh, there is no comparison to that anywhere in the world. Rajiv, I always help people who say there are no free lunches in life have never been a cricket writer. So, uh, so the fare that you is spread out for you at Edgebaston is the best. Uh, but yeah, like I said, women's cricket will grow cricket more than men's cricket ever could have imagined. Moving on to our next segment, fact or fiction. I'm going to present a topic and we will each say whether we think it is fact or fiction. Then we will debate on why we think it is. So our first mm -hmm. sentence topic is Rishabh Pant will be the next captain for India's international squad after Virat Kohli has done and retired. Bharat, is that fact or fiction? I think it's fiction. I'll tell you why, because uh, Rishabh Pant might and will eventually become India captain, but uh, you're talking of him replacing Virat Kohli. That might be slightly premature. Uh, let's see, Virat Kohli is 33, I think. So he might play, uh, with his fitness, he could play for another five years, but just the amount of cricket he plays, maybe three or four more years, would uh, you'd imagine him being captain for most of that time. Uh, but then you have, uh, but there's a generation in between Virat Kohli and Rishabh Pant, the likes of Shreyas Iyer and those guys. And I'm not the only one who thinks that Shreyas Iyer has a great chance of not just playing a lot more cricket for India, but uh, being a captain as well. He's led the Delhi Dare, the Daredevils, who then became the capital for a long time. Unfortunately, missed out this year due to injury. He was supposed to go play county cricket as well. I think he's a super talent. Uh, and he, uh, whether it's him or someone else, I still think there'll be one captain in between Kohli and Pant. But Pant will be captain someday. I'm going to say fact. I think he's clearly being groomed for it. I mean, let's just look at how the media is hyping up his captaincy of the Delhi Capitals during this year's IPL while it was going on. I mean, I agree with you. 
I mean, for being as young as he is, he clearly understands the game very well. So I'll give him that. I also like having a wicketkeeper as the captain. You're right in the center of the pitch and all eyes are there. So it's not just easier for everybody to see you on the field. It's easier for everybody to see you as a fan to watch what he's doing. So he's building the confidence. He's not 100% there yet, but he's building it. I think he'd be a great choice for captain. I do agree with you, though that the only other player I could see is Shreya Sayer. And it's just really funny that both of them have cap have captained the Dili Capitals at one point. So I could see him doing it for all the same reasons that I stated for Rishabh Bunt, minus the wicket keeping, of course, but he's another very young, very smart cricketer that I could easily see taking the mantle if it's not Rishabh Bunt. But I think, especially with how the media is hyping him up, I think he's the next one. I have to thank you for giving um, us so much credit, uh, Rajiv, us as the media. If only it worked like that. If only people we hyped, uh, you know, got what they, uh, got, uh, got what we think they deserve. <laughs> right. Adnan Verk deserves the hate that he's been receiving on social media as new lead commentator for Raw. Is that fact or fiction? I am going to say fiction. Uh, a lot of commentators take time to find their voice. Look at us. We're on episode two of Chop On. I'm still finding my voice. I think you're still finding your voice. Uh, it took me almost a full year to find my voice on my other show, Talking Dreams. So why, why is everybody giving him such a hard time? Is it because he isn't JR? Not everybody is going to be JR. He is who he is. We as fans need to cut people slack when they don't fit the mold of what we grew up on. Could you imagine, Budeth, if you were going to your job and people came up to you saying, oh, God, you're so bad at your job, when they don't even understand the ins and outs of it? That would be the absolute terrible feeling. So WWE is clearly trying to add a more legitimate feeling by bringing Adnan in. He worked with MLB Network. He worked with ESPN. He worked with the TSN Network in Canada. Cut him some slack. Let him get more familiar with the product, and he should improve. Yeah, and it's uh, and for me, it's fiction as well. I asked Tony Shwani, funnily enough, during her last Zoom call, which you missed, and I missed I you there. I did. I thought it was a great chance for us to uh, promote our podcast together. I didn't want Next to do time. it so close. Yeah. And I asked him this very question. I said, you know, back in the 80s when you were doing commentary for professional sport and wrestling simultaneously, how difficult was it? How much of a challenge was it like, you know, going from professional sport to, to scripted TV, even mm -hmm. if your, your commentary is not scripted? Um, and he said, uh, you know, uh, initially he said, nah, I mean, it wasn't that difficult because we weren't given scripts. But towards the end, he actually did say that uh, it was very different because in professional wrestling, your tone is there. It's very high. You always expected to get excited about a lot of things, whether you like it or not. Whereas in baseball, it's, it's very slow. It's, uh, you have to really cut your tone down. And I'm right. sure that's something that Adnan work. Uh, will take some time to get used to because professional sport, I've done a, lo a lot of commentary now on professional cricket. Um, and it's, it's a very different, different tone. If tomorrow you throw me into uh, a wrestling sport, I, and I think it comes down to personality as well. Like uh, I'm an excitable fellow, but I'm not someone who's going to shout and scream. That's just not me. So I'll struggle, you know, playing that part. And you have to give him some time course the WWE see something in him they wouldn't have spent a lot of money uh, this much money getting him on board uh, the one advantage though he does have he's a professional commentator and by that I mean that he will get better like you know that's what most professionals do he's not just an ex uh, wrestler who's like you know uh, come on board or or even a Michael Cole and I think Michael Cole's a great commentator I mean forget about oh he has to he has Vince McMahon in his ear and the fact that he's a professional is why he can do his job despite having Vince McMahon in his ear. You know, others have tried but not survived for too long. So, yeah, we should cut him some slack. The only form of cricket Americans would like are T20s. <laughs> I'm going to cheat. I'm going to start this one because I'm in America. So, I, yeah. I'll, give, I'll give a little bit of why I think this is a fact. So, what's the closest thing Americans have to cricket? Baseball. 
Americans are getting bored of baseball. It's not fast-paced enough. There's not enough drama. And even when there is some drama on the field, it doesn't make national news over, oh, who's going to be drafted number three in the NFL draft? It's a sad but true statement. I love baseball, and I'm always going to think very highly of it because it's my first love when it comes to sports. I think ODIs would be frowned upon completely by Americans. If anything, they might tune in to the final overs of the second innings just to see who wins test matches would be outright rejected just look at fan reactions to draws in wrestling i love Mm -hmm. draws especially if it's moving a story forward but could you imagine what the reaction would be in america if they invested five days into a match and it ends in a draw they would never watch cricket again so yes t20 is more fast-paced it's easier to score runs and it's simple enough with the rules that i think fans in america could get behind it but the other formats good luck um yeah and you know what i'm going to disagree with you uh i think it is fiction even though i'm not in america i think if promoted well um test cricket has the kind of drama that um i don't think any other sport has and not even not definitely not one day cricket or t20 cricket but i mean any other sport and i uh, described it earlier to on one of our other wrestling shows as it's five days of foreplay without a happy ending um, guaranteed in the end. Like, you know, you could have five, five days of foreplay and nothing in the end, just to draw. But the, and, and, the, and the match I would show them is the SCG test from two months ago when R. Ashwin and Hanuma Vihari, like, you know, battled pain. Um, you know, one couldn't walk, one couldn't sit. Like, they, they couldn't run. And they still just hung in there, took blows to the body. Uh, it, it felt like a wrestling ring. Like, you know, look at Pat Cummins and Josh Hazelwood, the nicest guys you'd ever meet. But they looked like proper heels there. They were just trying to knock these guys out. And Ashwin and Hanuma Vihari, like, you know, and Vihari knowing that it might well be his last test. Who knows? You lose your spot. Your hamstring's gone. It's torn. But the coaching staff is asking you to come off. But you hang in there. I think that was uh, the cricketing equivalent of an Ironman match. So if sold well, I think Test cricket will sell much better than T20 cricket because it's so different. Nothing like that exists. And that's how you get invested. And it just, from a writing perspective, it just allows you so much more time to tell stories. The Test match fan in me loved everything that you just said, (laughs) but the American in me still is like a draw after five days. I don't know if I could do it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's you can't consume too much fast food at a test match. That's all I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Wrestling <laughs> needs fans in attendance to be enjoyable. Bharat, is that fact or fiction? I would be shocked if we don't agree on this because I think it's just a fact. Because uh, just think of Kurt Angle walking out, like, you know, at his peak. And if you do not have thousands of people shouting, you suck every time his music went off, it just would not feel the same. You just could not uh, get that energy going. And I think it's true with a lot of sport. Though cricket as a sport, I think, can still survive because the true cricket fan, actually, I mean, as romantic as it sounds, still really gravitate towards the sound of bat on ball, leather on billow and all that. But uh, I think uh, with wrestling, because it's a performance, it's like... Uh, it, it, it's for me, it's the greatest form of performance theater wrestling is like with a lot of physicality involved, but imagine like a, a Broadway show or any show without an audience, that's what it will feel like you feed off the people, even if you, I mean, yeah, I mean, with the Thunderdome, you can see people's faces and like maybe hear their voices, but you can't connect with people the way, like think about the Monday night wars if Eric Bischoff wasn't walking out and, you know, picking out like um, the placards from the crowd and tearing them or like holding them up. It's just not the same. Wrestling without crowds, like everybody said, uh, is, is like I said, a Broadway show in front of empty stands. So I'm gonna actually go fiction on this one and here's why. Wow. Why do I watch wrestling for the story? If the story is compelling enough, then I'm going to watch it no matter what. Let's take comedy shows, for example. You have a sitcom format like Big Bang Theory or Friends, where you have an audience that's there and they're laughing, and that laugh may or may not enhance your laughing at home. But then you have series like The Office, Modern Family, and shows like that that don't have an audience, but they're still just as funny, if not funnier. Wrestling stories don't need an audience to tell me how I am feeling about what is going on. 
can an audience make a make a match better absolutely but they could also make a match worse how many times have we seen wrestlers that either get pumped up because the audience is doing exactly what they want to do or they get pissed off because the crowd isn't reacting to the match the way that the wrestler thinks they should and that ruins the match altogether i don't think a crowd is necessary is it better with it perhaps but it does not make it any more enjoyable than if they were there if they're not there yeah well i guess like if i was a wrestler i would need a crowd rajiv maybe yeah maybe you just don't connect with people as well as i do probably not if you ask <laughs> alex i hate people so <laughs> no, i'm just kidding <laughs> and now we're going to move on to terms and conditions with our resident expert bharat sundaresan first uh two terms that you hear a lot in wrestling business are baby face and heel how would you bharat describe a baby face and a heel to someone who does not know wrestling uh the simplest way of course is good guys and bad guys but i don't think it is as straightforward as that um it's 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 basically someone just a heel is a person who cheats to win uh imagine the a baby again the best way to describe it is uh two guys quoting the same girl or like you know wanting to impress the same woman or two women trying to impress the same guy or two guys trying to impress the same guy you know whichever way you want to look at it um and one does all the right things like you know uh learns something about her uh tries to do like you know get get to know her and then impress her that way that's your baby face says all the right things and then you have the heel who at times might say the right things like you know he might do the right things but always with a vested interest and not just with an intention to get the girl or the person of um, you know who he's attracted to he or who she or she is attracted to but also elbow the other person out of the way where it's not a fair fight that for me um is a heel and the baby face is actually rajiv and i are your ultimate baby faces we like to sound <laughs> uh, like you know we are like cool and we try to uh intimidate people but now even with my, the way i look rajiv i'm just the ultimate baby face is what i realized well you've got the baby face hair and uh, to me in that sense you're a heel so <laughs> <laughs> there you go uh last week we had a cricket term so let's talk about a cricket rule this week i get asked this a lot and i always don't have a better explanation other than you, th- that's what the rule is and the rule is that you can't bowl over waist height so with you here i thought this would be who better to ask than this why do you have to bounce the ball when you bowl to a batsman and for this segment i'm always going to sit with this wonderful friend of mine it's the laws of cricket as you know i don't just write on cricket i also umpire cricket games so this is the first thing that you handed when you sign up to be an ump cricket umpire it involves a lot of standing around not running around so you don't have to be very fit if again any <laughs> of our american listeners don't want to play the sport but want to umpire a game it's fun and especially if you do junior cricket uh, you also get a lot of goodies to eat as what i've realized rajiv but the reason uh, why you are not allowed to bowl full tosses and also because why you're not allowed to chuck the ball not throw the ball because that's illegal uh is because that's a bloody hard ball you know you used a leather ball which is some cork inside um and as we've seen unfortunately uh, in the history of cricket it can kill you know i mean uh, I, without even getting into like the tragic stories of people who have died on the cricket field because they've been hit by a ball um yeah, and going coming to the no ball rule where you can't bowl a full toss about someone's waist it's just to protect protect the batter or the batsman like because uh if you allow that kind of bowling they were called beamers once upon a time uh and there was there, there was no technically a law against him you could bowl how many ever even if you were no ball now of course if you bowl two over the waist of uh, a batter or a batsman and the umpire thinks um they it's it's dangerous bowling then he can take you off the bowling attack so you can't bowl for the rest of the innings at times not not the rest of the match um and that and that's pretty much it comes down to the safety of the batter or the batsman and also why bowling is very different to pitching with pitching is actually throwing the ball 
bowling is actually this very unnatural activity that uh, cricketers indulge in where you run in and you kind of uh, roll your arm over rather than just chuck it. And there are rules against chucking. There are, um, you can't bend your elbow. You can't straighten your elbow. There are certain degrees which we can get into once our listeners get more used to listening to these terms. Uh, but yeah, that's basically to protect the batsman. Just to kind of give everybody a sneak peek into next week, I have a another very fun bowler rule that I cannot wait to hear you explain about because mm -hmm. it, it might also be an over the rope segment as well. So it might be a two for one. So there we go. So speaking of, it is time to go over the ropes. This is where we go over the ropes of the present back to the past. And our topic this week is the WWF becomes the WWE. So last week, Budeth handled his IPL, ICL very, very well. So I'm going to take this one this week. I'm so sorry to everybody that's listening for him. Uh, <laughs> on May 5th, 2002, the World Wrestling Federation Entertainment Inc. becomes World Wrestling Entertainment Inc. just days after the Court of Appeal for England and Wales upheld an October 2001 ruling alleging that the WWF was in breach of an agreement with the World Wild Fund for Nature operating at the time as the World Wildlife Fund. The two companies have been sharing the initials WWF since 1979, but the court ruled that the World Wrestling Federation violated a 1994 agreement limiting their use of the initials. Under the ruling, all mentions of the WWF initials and old logos would be censored. The WWF were looking to appeal the ruling to the House of Lords, which is essentially the equivalent of the Supreme Court in the United Kingdom, but ultimately decided against it. In 2003, the WWE won a judgment allowing them to market classic video games with the old WWF scratch logo, but must use the new WWE logo on the packaging. In 2012, the WWE and the WWF, now the World Wildlife Fund, reached a settlement over the use of the initials and the scratch logo, allowing the WWE to use archive footage unedited. Any new material produced could not use the WWF initials or logo. And I know the change was odd to me at first, but I adjusted to it. Uh, what did you think of this change, Budeth, when it happened? Um, you know, uh, uh, Rajiv, I do remember reading about this. This was around, uh, like during a period when we didn't get wrestling on TV in India. Oh. It was in that in-between period where we, where star sports or primes, star groups stopped showing it before 10 sports took over, the Sony group. Um, and uh, I found it intriguing because I always thought about it. When you say WWF or you said WWF in the 90s, what picture comes to your mind? A cute panda or Hulk Hogan? I don't know. <laughs> like, you know for, me, was, <laughs> for me, it was always Hulk Hogan. And I think it was true for a majority of people. Even if you weren't a wrestling fan, WWF really meant like, you know, uh, eat your vitamins and do all that. So uh, it, it was interesting when the change happened. And, and they are World Wrestling Entertainment. The World Wrestling Federation uh, Maybe even the term federation uh, in that sense was a throwback to the time there were promotions and federations, I guess, in wrestling. Uh, and, and even though the name change did happen, it, it took, took a while for, uh, I'm sure, like you said, for you as well to get used to calling it WWE. But I'll say this, even now when I'm speaking to uh, someone like, you know, from my past who's no longer into wrestling, if I say WWE, they won't get what I'm talking about. I still stick to saying WWF. Like my mother, for example, where like uh, she would walk in and I would be watching wrestling and she'd just like start, uh, you know, slamming her forehead saying like, when will this child ever grow up? Why are you still watching these naked men? Like, you know, on TV, like uh, I, just to digress, like I love to, I remember uh, back in the mid nineties, I was watching wrestling. My mother walked in with her sister and this is when Lex Luger was a narcissist. So maybe it was 93, 94. And there he was like, you know, flexing his specs in front of a mirror and like my mother and her sister did not know where to look. They were like, okay, <laughs> what is this garbage that he's watching? <laughs> um, so yeah, so the, 
I, I don't think it's ever really registered. I still think like, you know, if you suddenly wake me up, I'll still say WWF and not WWE. Um, it's like Bombay and Mumbai, for example. I was right. born in Bombay, uh, but it became Mumbai like when like a lot of states in India started ch changing names to getting more traditional names, getting rid of the anglicized names that the British had given those cities like Bombay and Madras and Calcutta. They became Mumbai, Chennai and Kolkata. Um, so, but even if you ask me where I'm from, I'll say Bombay, not Mumbai, because you know, I was born in 1985 and I spent my first 13, 14 years calling it Bombay. And what better way to end that segment than with the historian himself, Mr. Bharat Sundaresan. Thank you, everybody, so much for tuning in to our second edition of Chop On. We really appreciate all the love and support. Again, if you want to, send us a message, send us a tweet. We are at Chop On Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Bharat, do you have any last words for our listeners before we head out of here? Yeah, I mean, just last word is I need to flee, buy food and drop lunch off for my wife, Isha. But yes, please send us your tweets, hate tweets, love tweets, everything. We accept them all. Uh, and please, like, you know, give us any suggestions that uh, about things that you want to hear us talk about. We're always open. We're always open. And please find some ways uh, to create some heat between Rajiv and I. That's all I want to say. So send the hate tweets to at BeastieBoy07, the love <laughs> tweets to at the Rajiv8. <laughs> and for Buddha Sudanis, I am Rajiv. Keep chopping on, people. <laughs>